I don't think there's anything sweeter than watching little kids worship Jesus. Anybody with me? Hey, if you served in any way at Kids Camp, can I see your hands, please? If you served as a teacher, if you served by cleaning up, thank you. And please, if you think that was awesome, when you see Scarlett, our kids pastor, on the way out, can you please thank her? Because she did an unbelievable job gathering a ton of volunteers, putting this together. I love that when we do things at Cypress Creek Church, it's not only a ministry-specific thing, it's a church-wide thing, because we're all in this together, and that's, uh, Kids Camp was a great example of that as we served 180 kids in our community. It was a packed house in here and out there during family day. A uh, lot of new families connecting. Maybe you're here because your kids were here. And so if you are new, I want to uh, add on to what Taylor said. My name's Jose, and we, Cypress Creek Church, are a group of imperfect people, and we're all on a journey following the only perfect one, Jesus Christ. And so I hope that you feel welcome this morning as we open up God's Word and read what it teaches us. How are you doing? How are you doing? Some of you were honest with me by answering that question. I really do believe that you were good. Others were honest in that you didn't say anything. You stayed quiet. You said, this is not a safe place for me to really tell you how I'm doing. Because if I'm being honest, not doing very well. And then the others of you, you're liars. You were conditioned by our culture to say good when someone says, how are you? Isn't that the truth that our culture conditions us to lie and to hide and suppress how we are really feeling and what emotions we are really feeling in this current circumstance. If you know me, I tend to be emotional. I'm one of those emotional guys. Any other emotional guys here? I cry more than my wife. I'm, I'm manly enough to accept that. I am now secure in how God made me. And so I'm a crier. I see things. I was here on, uh, what day was it? On Wednesday, looking at Scarlet lead our kids. And again, yes, I know some, some of my kids were here, so that's true too. But I was just moved to tears to see our future generation be taught about God's word. And I thought, man, this world is going through a lot of things, but God is raising up a new generation in these little kids. We are baptizing kids more than we have in a long time in this church. God is moving through our little ones. And sometimes we're too distracted on what's going on outside and we need to focus in, Lord, what are you doing in, in what he's doing? And I'm telling you, this is a word. He is, he is doing something in our younger generation. So again, all that to say, thank you for hearing my spiel. I'm emotional. I, I'm, I'm an emotional man, and I want us to spend the rest of this summer as a church looking at the most emotional book in the Bible, that is the book of Psalms, 150 emotional poems and songs that are written from humans to God. And what they teach us is not only how to express how we are really doing, but what they also teach us is that God can handle our emotions. He can handle our messiness. Sometimes we grow up in church and we think, in church you got to have it all together. In church you got to behave. In church you got to act right. And you got to suppress any bad emotion or feeling that you may experience this side of heaven. Well, the good news is that we have 150 books literally right smack in the middle, middle of our Bibles that say otherwise, that God can handle anger. 
He can uh, handle hatred and revenge. He can handle depression and despair. And yes, he can also handle joy. In fact, it's when we give God our emotions that then we get to see God working around us. And that leads us to say the last word in Psalm 150, which is hallelujah, praise God. That's what we're going to be doing for the next seven weeks. Are you excited? Let's talk a little bit about what um, the Psalms are, and I'm grateful you said yes, so that probably means that you forgive me for calling you a liar. So I'm, gra- I'm grateful that we reconciled on that. What are the Psalms? The Psalms in Hebrew are Sefer Tehillim. I botched that, but it means the book of praises. In Greek, it's Psalmoi, which literally means songs sung to the accompaniment of a stringed instrument, and you wonder why we sing at church, because this Bible is filled with songs. Songs, we'll go into that in a little bit, is a great way for us to connect with God. A uh, hundred authors in the book of Psalms, 150 Psalms, a hundred authors, seven th- 73 of them are from King David. So he wrote the vast majority of these songs. Others are written by the sons of Korah and Asaph, who are musicians of the day. Uh, King Solomon wrote a psalm, Heman and Ethan, and then Moses wrote Psalm 90 in 1406 BC, and then David wrote around 970 BC, and then the final psalms were written in 450 BC. So let me just sum that up to you. That's a thousand years of songwriting that express the human emotion and heart that never changes, no matter what the cultural norms look like. The Psalms are broken up into five parts. There's a rabbinical commentary from the 10th century that says that just as Moses gave the first five books of the law to Israel, that's the Torah, the first five books of our Bible, David gave the five books of Psalms to Israel. In this way, their human words to and about God are also God's word to us. So these are humans writing to God, but in them we actually see God's heart towards and for us. Martin Luther called the Psalms a mini-Bible as it gives an overview of salvation, history from creation, through the law on Mount Sinai, the building of the tabernacle and the temple, and the exile, and ultimately points to Jesus. So that's what I named this series, Songs of Jesus. That's an organ playing different notes. We're going to look at seven different psalms in this series that all teach us something fresh and new about our emotions. But bottom line is that all of these psalms point to Jesus. See, Jesus sung these songs. They were in his heart. Jesus quoted the Psalms in his ministry 17, I'm sorry, 16 times explicitly. 17 Psalms, and I have this, uh, um, uh, these Psalms here, 17 Psalms explicitly point to Jesus. Jesus quoted this book more than any other book in the Old Testament, and they were so dear to him that his final words here on earth were two Psalms, Psalms 22, when he was hanging on the cross. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then his last words of his mouth said, Lord, into your hands I commit my spirit. That's Psalms 31. If, imagine, if the last words of Jesus' mouth were the Psalms, don't you think that they were important 
and crucial to him. So we're going to dive in to these psalms. So what are we going to do? Uh, we're going to hear from a different member uh, some weeks from our pastoral team as uh, he or she will expound on a psalm uh, in the message. And we're going to look at three things. One of my favorite pastors and authors is uh, Tim Keller. He's a pastor in New York City. He's actually in the final stages of his life, dealing with terminal cancer with incredible joy and perseverance. He is finishing strong, literally. And he wrote a devotional called The Songs of Jesus. So that's where I got the title of this series. And in it, he says that each psalm teaches us to do Three things. The first is adore. We praise God as we learn what each psalm teaches us about the nature of God. The second is admit. Then we take things personally. We say, all right, what does this uh, psalm teach me about myself? What do I need to admit in my life? What do I need to confess? What do I need to release? And then the third thing is aspire. It's teaching us to uh, respond to whatever this psalm is compelling us to do or act or ask. And so we'll look at a psalm and we will answer these three questions. What does the psalm teach me about God? We adore God. What does the psalm teach me about myself? We admit uh, and then aspire. How does this psalm compel me to respond. And we'll actually do things a little differently. Sometimes liturgy in a non-denominational church is like, ah, but we're going to hear someone in just a minute. Silly Uzzolino is going to read today's Psalm, Psalm 139 in its entirety from here at the stage. And we'll have a Psalm read every morning. Now, here's the final thing that I want to say before we start reading in Psalm 139. Psalm 1 teaches us what it's uh, what, what the whole book, it sets the whole book up. It's not necessarily a poem. It's more of a declaration. Here's what Psalm 1 says. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and Night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do, let's say all that together, prospers. Our church name is Cypress Creek Church. And so we get to be a people like a, like a cypress tree planted by the Cypress Creek, planted near the source, meditating on God's word day and and night, so that no matter what life brings, we prosper, we stand firm. That's what the Psalms teach us to do when we trust in God, when we're honest and real before God. He can handle our messiness, He can handle our emotions. We can be strong and stand firm no matter what life throws our way. Psalm 4, I'm sorry, verse 4 talks about what happens when we don't do this, when we don't take God's word literally, when we don't adore, admit, and aspire as we read the Psalms, not so the wicked, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous, for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the wicked, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Now, 
Again, we're a church of imperfect people. We all have imperfections. And so sometimes I, I, I read the psalm and I'm like, I gotta get it right. I don't wanna be wicked. I don't wanna go that way. Well, it's so important that we are personal with God. We're gonna talk about what it looks like to truly be known by God this morning in Psalms 139. And one final thing, I said that twice. One last thing before we read Psalms 139 is the Psalms were accompanied by stringed instruments. I, uh, my dad played the piano, and so from an early age, he taught me how to play the piano. And uh, there's a study that says that music acts as a medium for processing emotions, trauma, and grief. That's National Alliance of Mental Health. And I love when science tells us something that the Bible has already said is true. And so what science and psychology is telling us is that music exists so that we can express our emotions. So when we hear a song like this, uh-oh, let's see. There it is. What emotion comes to mind right now? Are you feeling relaxed? Don't fall asleep on me. music like this soothing tune the psalms are also meant to make us relax and recognize that God is in control but that wasn't written for God and, and neither was this song anybody reminiscing right now the good old days what a Jesus has redeemed us from, it, it, it sparks that redemption in you. But then there's also the Psalms that are like aggressive and, and filled with tension. Only grandparents and young parents maybe know that one. That's a Disney song that is haunting the house of every uh, home with a child in it because they sing it non-stop. Anyway, how about this one? Yeah? What do you, we have hands in the back raised. There you go. See, here's the thing. Whenever we hear this song, it's easy to celebrate and it's easy to put a lighter up in the air. But then when we come to church and we hear what happens? We act like if, uh, you know, I don't know, God. Music was actually created connect with God, not just to enjoy. We're going to be now listening to Psalm 139, and I want to play a little stringed instrument. Help me welcome Silly Uzzolino to the stage, 
and then we'll talk about Psalm 30, 139. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you and the night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being and you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made and your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I were to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only, God, you would slay the wicked away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them, and I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Some of us men need to remember who wrote this psalm. King David, the manliest man outside of Jesus that ever walked this earth. And if you don't believe me, read us 1 Samuel 18 and see what he did to uh, Mary Saul's daughter. We're not going to talk about that today. David was a real renaissance man. He was a poet, he was a musician, he was a warrior, great leader, but most of all, he was a man after the Lord's own heart. And he's teaching us how to do that through this psalm. How does this psalm teach us to adore, to admit, to aspire? The first thing is this. 
God knows me. He knows you. He knows every person that has ever walked this earth. Seven times this word know, Hebrew yada, is mentioned in this passage. Four times here in the first few verses. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways before a word is on my tongue. Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. We must know that we are known. This is the gospel message that we are all created in God's image and that there's something that God is after. He is after our hearts so that we can be saved from ourselves. That is at the very heart of why Jesus came. He came to rescue. He came to redeem. He came to restore. He knows us intimately. These next verses are so foundational for our faith. In verse 13, he says, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Some of you in this morning just need to hear those words that you are wonderful. God made you wonderfully and fearfully. There's no one like you. You are unique and unique for God's purposes. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Now this last week, we celebrate that our country made a decision that honored God's Word. Prayers have been answered, and God's word has been uh, fulfilled in this time and in this period. I want to say a few things about this, and then we'll continue reading. But this is very personal to me for three reasons. Number one, many of you know I spent a few years after college working at the Supreme Court. And so during the March for Life, when many were praying outside of the walls, I had the incredible privilege to be praying inside of the walls for a decision like this. And, and we believe as believers that when God is honored, God's best is best for all, even when all don't understand God's ways or agree with God's way. The second is that Taylor, my wife and I, we've been involved with the child welfare system for the last seven years. And, and it's really important for us to continue to be in the game because the reality is there's a lot of hurting people a lot, a lot of hurting people. You probably saw the news and you probably saw the confusion and the division that one uh, godly decision can provoke in our very divided nation. Well, uh, some good news for us this morning. Last week, Mary Dunn came up and we've been uh, collecting funds for our two pregnancy resource centers that we support as a church. You, your generosity raised $10,402.32. All of that money. Let's go ahead and give God praise. Thank you for being in the game. 
and, and, and being there with the moms uh, that, that, are, that, are, that don't know where to turn. That's why those pregnancy centers uh, have been established, and that's why they will continue to be there because not only are those pregnancy centers uh, telling them about other choices beside abortion, but they're also telling them that these verses are true for them, that God has a plan A. We are all God's plan A. There is no plan B or C in God's eyes. We are seen before any sonogram. We are seen and known before we even utter a word or we even can hear a heartbeat. God saw our unformed body in the secret place. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that wonderful to just meditate and take personally that God, Yada, knows you and he knows me and he knows everyone that's ever walked the earth the born and the unborn. And I also want to be sensitive because not only are there people close in my life that disagree and do not see eye to eye with me, but th this, this is a very sensitive thing because many have experienced uh, a, a miscarriage. Many have experienced uh, a stillborn child and, and many are living with guilt and shame because of abortion and the beautiful part is that God redeems and he restores and he uses our imperfections for his perfect purposes. And so my friends, we need to remember God's grace that is free and undeserved for all. And so um, this verse is so pivotal for us to hold on to. It's foundational in our understanding of who God is. He knows us. Now, that is comforting. And I'm going to talk about the other side of that. It's comforting and it's a little scary. Let me read in verse seven. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? And so if I go up to the heavens, you are there. If my, I make my beds in the depths, you are there. If I rise on wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Have you ever met someone or, or introduced yourself to someone and you're like, hi, my name is Jose. And then, and then you get the response. Oh, I know who you are. And you're like, how do you know me? And when did you know about me? And how do I not know you? You know, you're, 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 you're talking to someone that knows you and you're not aware of how they know you. This is God saying he knows us. And the comforting thing is we are intimately known, and the scary thing is that he knows everything about us. The good, the bad, those thoughts that you've never even shared with anyone. He knows it all. We can't get away from his presence. So this is what we have to admit. This is that we have to confess. God knows all about me, but do I know him? Because God doesn't only want us to know about him. That means memorizing scripture and knowing all the right answers that we raise. If we were raised in church, we would just have all the information. He's not talking about that knowing. He's talking about a personal relationship knowing because you can know all about someone without ever really knowing them. God wants to know us personally. And he's also saying, hey, know, know, know me. Know your creator. Talk to me. See, there's three ingredients in a deep personal relationship. Communication, talking with 
someone. The other is, is spending quality time with that person. And if you talk with someone and, and if you spend a lot of time with them and, and those work, then trust is established. And that's a foundational principle of any relationship, a spouse, a, a child, a friend. And so we need to talk to God. We, we need to spend time with him. And we need to trust that his way is best. The more that we do that, the more our relationship with God, like our personal relationship, actually grows. There's something different in God's relationship than ours. Uh, whenever you get to know someone, another person, uh, one of my good friends told me this a long time ago. Thankfully, we were good friends by then. He says, yeah, the more you get to know somebody, the more you actually get to know their sin. And I just looked up and I was like, yeah, you do know my sin. And the more someone starts getting, you know, on your nerves and you're like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm really dealing with that person's stuff. Right. And so what is our uh, M.O.? Our M.O. is to just spend less time with them, talk to them less and maybe trust them a little less. Is that intimacy? No, that's the opposite. That happens in our marriages. When we don't settle accounts, when, we, uh, uh, when, when the list gets too long, uh, when we're not reconciling continuously, when we're falling asleep on each other, what happens? You just grow apart over a long period of time. See, God's way is different. This, these verses teach us that. That even, even when we're making our beds uh, in, in the depths, that, that word is actually Sheol, which uh, is also used to represent hell in the Bible. So, so when we are at our worst, God's grace is at its best because the greater the sin, the actual more grace that I'm able to receive. And that makes me love Jesus because I don't deserve any of it. I deserve death and eternal damnation. But thanks be to God, I am justified by faith through Christ alone. That's what ties me to God. Do I know him in that way? Do you know him in that way? We're talking about a real personal relationship. Romans 2 verses 3, 4 says this, since you judge others for doing these things, these things are, are the very same things that we have done ourselves. Why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same thing? things. Do you not see how wonderfully, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Another translation says God's kindness is what leads us to repentance. Sometimes we don't see it as God's kindness when he warns us. Um, Carl Falling said, uh, he's a Bible translator in our midst, and, and we were talking about the she-bears in 2 Kings 2, when the she-bears attacked these 42 teenagers, and, and he was talking to our community group leaders, equipping us, and, and you're like, how? And he connected that to God's grace, that, that those she-bears were actually a warning sign for the people in that time, because if they didn't turn to God, then something worse was going to happen, and that was eternal judgment. And it's the same thing here on earth, consequences of our sin, uh, friends that wave their hands in our lives saying, not that way. God says this way. Don't, don't go that way. Those are warning signs that are actually God's kindness, because if we do not confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, then there will not be any more kindness. There will be judgment. We will be outside of God's grace, not because it wasn't available to us, but because we didn't receive 
it for ourselves? Do we know him as a savior? Do we know him as our Lord? And here's the last one. What is it calling us to aspire in verse 19? If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Kind of a, a tune change here, right? You just talking, you know me. Uh, it, it sounds like a, like a smooth jazz song in an elevator. You're just feeling all good. And then wham, the metal starts. Da, 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 da. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you. I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. This is the word of the Lord. What a pivot. David, what happened? You were doing great. And then you know what David was doing? He was being real. He was being real. He was being real before the Lord. See, David's life, if you read it from beginning to end, is filled with persecution. In our walks as Christians, they're going to be filled with people saying, no, nah, man, you're, you're, you're a closed-minded bigot. Are we ready to receive that type of persecution when enemies come to us? Just in a fraction of a way in the way that uh, David was pursued, literally with armies looking for him to kill him. He was being real. He was being authentic. He was being honest with God. Important word here is towards God. He's not saying this to other people. He's not publishing this on social media. He's writing this in his journal. And we, because of God's goodness, have this as a model for how we are to express our anger, our righteous anger when it comes. We're like, God, I, I can't stand when someone doesn't love you. Tell it to God. And then, thankfully, that's not how this psalm ends. Let's read these last verses, and then we'll close with worship. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. What is this teaching us to aspire towards? Let's invite him to search every aspect of our hearts. In, in, let's release our anger and then say, God, I, I yield it to you. I surrender it to you. Uh, search me and know every tense and anxious thought. Show me the way everlasting. What would it look like, my friends, if we did this in this crazy world? When the believers of Christ, instead of responding to our enemies, we would turn to God. And then what is God going to tell us? What did Jesus do? Love your enemies. Feed them. Go the extra mile. It's countercultural. Let's invite God. Invite God into the process of searching. This psalm begins saying, search. Uh, you have searched me and ends with, now God, search me and know my heart. This week, I uh, challenge you to Think of a negative thought that is continuing to replay in your mind or in your heart. Write it down. Give it to God. See what happens. Joel, uh, guys, uh, come, come back on stage. I hope that as we open up these psalms, it also opens up our hearts, that we are just free to come before God in whatever state that we are. 
and, and allow our emotions to flow towards God. Maybe that means writing it down. Maybe that means sharing it with a trusted friend or a spouse. And then finishing with these verses, Lord, uh, I, I want to go your way. I, I want to live my way in the way everlasting. Show me how to do that. Teach me how to do that, Holy Spirit. I promise you he will if there's anything that I have said that I want us to go home with this morning is that you and I are known by the almighty God. Every single day is written in his book of life. Let's leave here meditating. This, this word literally means to, to ruminate, to think about God's word and allow it to speak through us in whatever season that we may be living in. And for you that may be saying yes to Jesus for the first time this morning, recognizing that, that not only does he know you, but he has totally forgiven you of all your wrongdoings. And now he sees you just as if you never sinned. That's what justification through faith means. And so let's close in, in prayer and, and perhaps for you that, that, that is saying yes to Jesus for the first time and, and surrendering to his lordship and saying, God, I believe that you are the son of God who died for me, who lived the perfect life to be the perfect sacrifice so that I could live forever with And Lord, we thank you that that reality in our minds and in our hearts started the day that we were created before anyone ever saw us. It exists all the way till our very last breath. You, O oh Lord, our Lord, are in control. And so we as your followers, we, we submit to you this morning and thank you for knowing us. Lord, we want to know you more intimately and we also want to aspire to be more like you, Jesus, who was very real with you, God. We thank you for those verses that exemplify the intimate relationship that you had, Jesus, with the Father. May we be people that know you the way that you know us. May we be people who are unashamed of your word and your truth. And we celebrate God. You are. You are the all.